0: endless questions, who is supreme, whose name is above all, a revelation that comes from a greater understanding of the cross, his work sufficient, name above all names, Jesus, he is above all, he has given all, and nothing we do can be added to it, All right. Well, if you're visiting, thank you for joining us. My name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs, and I'm excited about introducing our brand spanking new series, All and Nothing. All and Nothing. It's a study in the book of Colossians, which is, by the way, my favorite New Testament letter. Uh, Colossians, as you're going to see, is live. It is lit. It is groovy. All right, I've been trying to bring that one back for a few decades. I'm going to keep working on that. But Colossians, I I just found out this week that crunk isn't a thing anymore. So y'all got to help me out a little more, all right? All and nothing. Now here's the point of our all and nothing series. Only when you understand all of who Jesus is and what he has done for us Will we be freed to realize that nothing we do can be added to what he's fully completed for us? And nothing will compete with Jesus. I like to use the competitive language. Nothing will compete with him. In other words, if Jesus has done everything to make me his, then the basic thing that's left for me to contribute to the gospel is nothing. Now, If I sound redundant at laying that down, it's because I am. Paul's pretty redundant in the book of Colossians. And the the reason that he's redundant, I think, is because our lives tend to redundantly display that we don't quite get it. That nothing needs to be added to what he's already fully paid for. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. As we get into God's word, we stand to honor God's word. And I'm going to read the first eight verses here. A letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of the faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints, verse 5, because, everyone say because. because, well done, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is, faithful, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the spirit. God's word. Thank you. Y'all can be seated as we pray. God, thank you for your word. And please add a blessing, a supernatural blessing to the reading of your word. Amen. I'm going to challenge you for the next several weeks to dig into God's word like never before. And why is that? Why should you, in the middle of all your busyness, Consider scrapping your entire routine and jumping into God's Word like never before. Maybe waking up early and studying Colossians in different versions, reading the Bible a lot, and digging into this. Why should you just interrupt the regular flow of your life? Well, thank you for asking. Because, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What Jesus has done for you and for me is way too big to just proceed on with business as usual, with the normal anxieties. Normal is not good. What he has done for us, supernaturally, merits that we interrupt the way we normally function and relate to God's word. So that maybe we could shed our familiarity with him and dig into Colossians and see a transformation in our life, in our families, in our work because of this great hope for us too, I am praying and asking God that he can help me to clearly communicate what is already transcendent in his word. And for that reason, I want to go back more or less verse by verse through what we've just read and bear out some implications, shed some light on some of it. We ready for that? All right. Especially these folks over here are ready. So I'm going to just preach a little extra good to the folks over here. Now, just as a reminder, Paul's writing this letter to Colossae. This, this town is inland from Ephesus, about 100 miles. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. But Colossae was a place that uh, a businessman, perhaps a merchant, a guy named Epaphras, was in Ephesus when Paul was preaching. Mo- most people think on his third trip around the known world at the time, when he was, Paul was preaching in Ephesus, and this businessman, this merchant named Epaphras, heard the gospel And he was so transformed by it that it was just an overflowing power that emanated from his life. Now, I think Epaphras probably went to the established class and got established in the word of God. And he was so overflowing like a spring of water that when he went home, he couldn't help but bear fruit. He had so much faith in God and love for other people that he just was a, a walking gospel production. And a church came from that. And this church started to grow to the degree that it was reported to Paul. And Paul, who has never visited Colossae, writes this letter to them. And in verse 3, he says, we, the, the, the rest of the apostles, his traveling crew, he says, we always thank God. Then he says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Now, it's important, first of all, before he starts out the rest of the book, where I think this whole book is about nailing down the whole Jesus is God thing. But when Paul says this, he says, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's making sure to communicate that when he's communicating the rest of this book about how Jesus is transcendent, preeminent, supreme, he's God, that's not to the exclusion of the fact that God the Father is God And God, the Holy Spirit, is God. That that God is one God in three persons, this divine mystery. One in being with the Father are the Son and the Holy Spirit. They're, they're They're one being, one God, three distinct persons for all eternity. Jesus was always with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit. Always was the begotten Son of God. How was he begotten and when? Never. He always has been the begotten son of God. Put that in your head. That gives you a headache to think and try to figure it out. You won't figure it out. It's above our figuring out. He's always been, and yet a moment in time, a sure moment in time that we celebrate at Christmas every year, he added to his divinity, humanity. He's fully God and fully man. He's always been God, and yet from that point on and forevermore, Jesus will be both God and man at the same time. That's a lot to try to process, right? Let me just tell you, brilliant people in all of history, the last 2,000 years, have embraced this truth with confidence well-informed faith. Faith. In fact, this word faith is the very next thing that Paul talks about. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith. Now what is faith? Faith is a trust in a person, essentially. If you leave with, if you leave with nothing else about what faith is, faith is the trust in a person, and therefore what he says about reality, about the world, about the gospel, about salvation, about how you should live your life and what your body is for. Faith is not just rules about all those things. It's trusting in a person and who he is and what he says about life. Faith is not the absence of thinking. It's not the absence of considering evidence. Faith, though, is knowing that even if I don't have absolute certainty about all the things that I could know, I can know enough about Jesus to know that he's absolutely supreme and above every other being or person or idea. That's faith. There's an absoluteness about it, but it's directed at the person of Jesus who merits it. And this church that Paul was writing to, they were overflowing with faith and growing and spreading and bearing fruit. And Paul heard the report of it, so much so that he writes this letter to them. He's heard this report. I wonder, what do you think is reported of us? What's the report going out from the Springs in San Marcus? What, what reports being spread about you? Is there this faith and love for the saints? What about your growth group? What, what's the report being given? I'm just asking you, I know the reports. What do you think the reports are being given about our church? Well, let me just share with you something that happened this week that's somewhat of a report of the faith and love in this church and how God's bearing fruit with it. I was, I was in uh, the Bay Area this week in California, and uh, I was visiting an, uh, another Every Nation pastor, and uh, he, he was helping me with some things. I really want to get better at leading here and making disciples here. And we were preparing some things, and this pastor was helping me. And uh, after my meeting with him, I went to visit a family member who I hadn't seen in years. And this family member, she's always been pretty opposed to God. The crazy thing is, is it's the God that she doesn't know. She doesn't even know how awesome, what, how the Jesus she's missing out on. And so she, like most people, tends to make boxes of what she thinks Jesus is like. And we were doing dinner together and, and she asked me, she says, you know, do you, do you miss Oregon? That's where I grew up. Says, she said, do you miss Oregon? It's got to be hot out there in Texas. I said, you bet it's hot. Especially at 200 pounds, it's extra hot. I said, yeah, I miss it a little bit. I think the mountains and lakes are kind of, I have this wrench in my gut whenever I see them in pictures. Uh, by the way, Texans, we don't have mountains here, okay? Another, that's another sermon. I said, yeah, I miss it, but, uh, but not really. And I began to describe to her the diverse people that I have the privilege of getting to experience before I die. The people that stir me up in such a unique way that I wouldn't get anywhere else. Y'all people that stir me up in faith and love for the saints stretch me to surrender my presumptions about Jesus and and the world and, and to hold things up to scripture in a way that I wouldn't without this people. And to grow in, in knowing Jesus deeper and being founded in all that he's done for me. And I'd started to describe how much I love this church and I love this people. And uh, she was pretty intrigued. And what, what started to happen with her is she didn't have a box for this. Whatever news station she was listening to about what church is, it just didn't fit into her presumptions. And so she starts asking me more questions. She says, well, how have you been handling all the racial tension? And I started to talk about how how this has been a a few years of refinement for us. It's been work. Uh, She she says, okay, well, well, how, what do you think about the president? How are you handling all the the, the political stuff going on? And we started talking about it. And again, she didn't have a paradigm to put all of this in. That The gospel is way more than she thought it was. The gospel is not just a, a political party. And then she literally started asking me, can you explain to me why Jesus is the only way to heaven? She's intrigued. See, she's heard the report and she's mystified. Or to put it in Paul's language here, she heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love that you have for all the saints. Let's get to this word love in verse four. Just like faith, love is not something that we think it is. It's a supercharged, heavenly word. It's a a piece of heaven. That's why he goes back in verse eight to, to affirm them once again. Epaphras has made known to us your love in the spirit. There's a love that this people had, a faith and a love that was overwhelming and was telling a story in and of itself by the way that they coexisted together. Now I say it was a piece of heaven, but that's precisely what it is. That's why the next verse, verse five says that all this love and faith that you have, it is verse five, because that's such an important word because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So Paul's reminding them, we've heard this report, but let me remind you why you get to experience all this amazing stuff you experience in your church. It's because of something that happened long before you knew any of this stuff. Don't miss the because. Your faith and love, church, is not your own doing. It's because of something much greater at the root, nourishing it. Or I'll say this, the faith and love that you can tap into today, if you don't yet know it, is secure for you, not something that you have to strive or earn. It's something available because of something that's already been provided, laid up for you in heaven. And you know what? Everyone in here, your life is meant to powerfully display a divine and grand because. Your life is meant to be this huge because Jesus, Jesus lived a perfect life. Now here's what's the one thing that, that unites all worldviews together. Whether you believe in a God or a thing or a nothingness or the, the glory of humanity, every worldview ag- agrees that something yet is just not quite right. And we define it in different ways. Some worldviews say it's it's too much. You know We're at the center of things, and some worldviews say that, that there's not enough God. Uh, some worldviews say that God's the problem. But everyone agrees that something's wrong, that there's, a, there's an ought to in life. We ought to be living a certain way, and it's not going that way. And we'll blame it on the government, we'll blame it on religion, but we at least agree that something's off. And here's what's great about Jesus. He is the opposite of all that. He is the perfect display of what ought to be the way he lives, the way he loves, the way he speaks. And I'm going to invite you to dig in and learn and listen for yourself. Challenge me on this. He is the person who lived the life we should have lived. And so he's the only person in history who's earned the consequence of that, which is eternal bliss with the Father. And yet, at a moment of time, the person who lived the life that we should have lived decided to trade his consequence for ours and he died the death that we should have died in our place. He's called the perfect substitution, the the fulfillment of the lamb of God, the perfect blood sacrifice. He died in our place on a Friday afternoon. And because of that there's hope laid up for heaven, in heaven for us. And because of that we can live in response a supernatural, overwhelming, overflowing faith in him and love for one another, not just try. Because trying is lying, but we can live because of what's already been paid for. This is the main conviction I want to drive home today, and I'm going to stay on this because for a little while. There are people tortured by inner anxiety in life. In this room, and outside of this room, that maybe have otherwise external circumstances that aren't that tortuous. And yet there's an inner thing happening. And yet there are other people who are externally being tortured in the body for their faith, and yet have an internal peace because of what's been laid up for them in heaven. Because... Jesus lived the life I should have lived, died the death that I should have died, rose from the dead, and because he lives, I live, regardless of my external circumstances. And the fight for your life is the fight for your internal awareness, confidence, faith, and trust that he has done enough. He has done all that needs to be contributed to the gospel, and the thing left for you is nothing because of that, I don't strive for salvation. I live from salvation. The big because. And when you understand all that Jesus has done for you, or let's just speak more operatively today, when you understand more and more, more Jesus, you're left with more and more confidence and less and less striving. No, no more trying to complete the work that's already complete or paid for, pay for what's already been paid for. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Or another corollary verse that I love, 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Let me tell you a story of uh, Hadassah, my oldest baby girl, about five years ago, when she was three, she was memorizing this verse, verse uh, 1 John four nineteen. Uh, we, we taught it to her, and uh, we, we saw this story, this little bunny story, uh, this book that I read to her one night. Uh, I think this was before we had any other kids. And many of y'all who knew Hattie five years ago know that she kind of had a English, she had an accent when she was speaking English. We spoke mostly Spanish to her growing up. Uh, and she, we read this little book that kind of correlated with 1 John four nineteen. This little book called Te Amo Mas. And uh, I love, I love you more. It was about two little bunnies, uh, a mommy bunny, a baby bunny. They're kind of outdoing each other. I love you this much. And the mommy's like, well, I love you this much. And the baby's like, dang. Well, I love you like this much. And the mommy jumped higher, and you know how it goes. And the kid says, the little baby bunny says, I love you to the moon. And the mommy's putting her down in bed and says, I love you to the moon. And back. And the baby falls asleep. So I read that to my daughter, and that night I was putting her in bed. And she decided to start so she started a little back and forth with me. And she says, Papi, te amo a la luna. I love you to the moon. And I said, okay, well, it's going to set it up on a T for me. All right, well, te amo a la luna y vuelta. I love you to the moon and back. And she just had this moment of inspiration. And she says, pues Papi, yo te amo a la, a la luna y vuelta y vuelta y vuelta por siempre. <laughs> to the moon and back and back and back forever. I think one of her cousins had just taught her about infinity and she wanted to get me, and I looked stunned. And she had this triumphant look on her face. I'm like, man, she's got me there. But then in a little fourth quarter comeback, I responded, Pero Hadassah, yo te amé primero. Hattie, I loved you first. And she looked initially like, oh, dang but then this big smile on her face hugged me and laid down and went to sleep. And I'll never forget that moment. You see, all of us, the confidence that God loved us before we were even lovable or loving or loving him back, he first loved us. It gives us all the security to rest in. And it's the fight for your life. If you don't get this, you'll spend your life trying to perform for God Instead of spending your life with the vibrancy that comes through what he's performed for you. This is the fight for your life and everything you do in your relationships. You are meant to live out a huge, enormous because. And let me dig a little deeper into Colossians. Because when First John says we love because he first loved us. I want to take you just a little deeper in Colossians because the grammar is so good. It's stronger grammar in Colossians when it says because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, in 1 John, when it says we love because he first loved us, it's just a conjunction. But check out the word that's used with because. It's the Greek word dia, which means through. It's a primary preposition, not just a conjunction, denoting a channel of an act, the ground or reason by which something is or is not. So church, do you have faith in Jesus Christ and love for each other? Yes, you do, but you need to understand and rest in that it's because, it's through, it's a channel of what's already been laid up for you in heaven. and To the degree that you understand that is the degree to which you'll continue to bear fruit in it. This is hugely important. Your life is meant to be a because, a through the life of Christ. It's meant to be an extension of the indestructible life of Christ. And not a contention of your will to try to earn the life that he's already earned for you. Check out how the passage progresses. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before, the word, before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Stop there for a second. I'm going to point out something obvious. That's important. Jesus came to you before you went to him. All the ideologies in the world, not only do all the ideologies in the world have a problem with what went wrong, but there is a solution to how you can make it right. And every other ideology in the world, it's all about, well, we can get to the, the, the oneness with the universe. We can get to God. We can make things right. And here's the path to get there. Faith in Jesus is the only idea, ideology, or religion that says the opposite. Instead of us getting to God, God has come to us. He brings holiness to us. He comes to us. The good news of the gospel is that he has laid it up for us and brings it to us. And so we don't have to, to strive to get or, or, or to it or acquire anything. He's paid it all. He's laid it all up in heaven, and now I'm free to live through him and do nothing for him and everything from him. I don't have to serve God anymore necessarily. I live in the life that he's given me. I want to ask, your, ask yourself this. What are ways that you're still trying to perform for God? You're still trying to perform, maybe try to gain his approval low key or or doing things to try to impress him instead of living through what he's already laid out for you. Just ask yourself, dig into your own heart, your own life for a minute. The passage goes on. This truth of the gospel which has come to you and indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does, um, has in you since the day that you plowed the soil of salvation and labored unto its fruition. Actually, it doesn't say that if you're following along. I just made up Bible-sounding words to point out our misunderstanding. It doesn't say about anything about us plowing or doing it. It says, since the day it bears fruit among you, since the day you heard and understood the grace and truth. See, that's the scandal of the gospel. It's already been plowed. It's already been harvested. It's just available for us to hear and understand. It's already paid for. The fruitfulness of your life is tied to your understanding of the truth of the gospel, not to what you can do to help Jesus out. It's already been paid for. And the fruitfulness of your life is whether or not you can fully trust that. It, it requires that you die to your efforts to help him. Because even your religious improvement measures is just more sin. It's contention against God. And to the degree that you can rest and die, you can have new life and live out a new life from what he's already done for you and what he's already laid up in heaven. This is why Paul takes pains in laying out the gospel and Jesus and the gospel and Jesus in this book of Colossians, I think to somewhat of an obsessive degree. degree uh, he puts the gospel in the ring in this book with all the other things that stand against it. In a few short pages. I mean, the first chapter, he mentions Jesus. In the first 29 verses, I counted 31 times. I would say that that's, that's pretty redundant because we keep missing it. Oh, no, it's about me. It's about I can do this. I should do that now. And there's a list of things out there that God's just waiting on me to do. No, no, he's, he's wanting you to stop and rest. And when you do that, he continues to use you as a vessel and move in you. He's called you to die. The gospel. And so in this book, he's going to put up all of our things that might compete with that idea. Ideologies. I, I love, in, at the, in, in the middle of this, he kind of holds up some, some what we would call left, left-leaning thinking and some right-wing thinking and some humanity. Uh, uh, hu- human th- humanistic things and some conservatism things and, and some liberalism things and some plausible arguments and philosophies and religiosity. There's all in there and he just puts it in the ring with the gospel and in the next several weeks we're going to see how Jesus and the gospel is better than all the other things that compete with it. And Paul wants you to know that Jesus is all you need. All right. Now I'm not saying that like he doesn't, uh, Jesus doesn't allow the gospel to play out in other relationships here on earth. I'm saying that Jesus is the source, the first fruits of all that you need. And when I say Jesus is all that you need, it's either me just being overly simplistic, or perhaps there's something about Jesus that you haven't rested in and embrace. And maybe it serves as the the hang up for why that thing in your work or your finances or your family or your relationships continues to cycle back and forth. And it just seems like I'm never getting free. Well, what if you stopped trying and you rested in this peace of Jesus that's meant to speak into that and bring life. And so I'm asking you church, can we dig into God's word? Can we read slowly, read the word and allow it to read us today and in the coming days, and see what might happen. This man, Epaphras, chose to do that. He wasn't trying to plant a church. It just happened when he rested in the gospel. What will happen in your life when you stop trying to strive or grasp for something, but you rest in what he's laid up for you in heaven and move from and through that? What will happen? What will history show happens in your life when you choose to rest? Now, I'm going to close in prayer. It's going to be simple, but again, I I want you to examine yourself as we close. Ask yourself, what about Jesus am I missing? Do I need to tap into? And how is that leading to other destructive habits or patterns in my life or my relationships or my finances? What about Jesus am I missing? And how can I gain a freedom that I've never yet known by resting in that? Just think about it for a second and pray. What what are some of these things going on in your life and what about Jesus do I need to embrace? Just think about that and then I'm gonna pray for you. Thank you, God. Now you might be in here, and, and maybe for you, the, you need to embrace Jesus for the first time. Maybe for the first time you fully and finally rest in Him. Maybe you've gone to church like I did growing up, just kind of faking the funk, uh, just trying to perform for God, but never until I was 14 years old did I stop and rest and have new life, and I was born again. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've tried to, to come to, to faith and to to please God, but... But this is your moment where in a moment of faith you need to stop trying and rest in what he's already done for you if that's you I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you I just think that there's a moment for, for you where you need to respond in faith and it takes faith to run up to the front right now but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand up so I can see you and I can pray for you if that's you raise your hand you need to fully and finally anyone else thank you God thank you Lord I need to fully rest in the gospel anyone else thank you Lord I'm going to pray for you Lord I thank you that these people who are giving an affirmation of their faith you already knew you were already drawing them to you and I ask that you would give them the ability to walk it out even as they've confessed in a group full of other people I pray that you would help them to walk it out with other people Help them to process the depths of who you are, Jesus, in growth groups this week, uh, in confessing new life to friends this week, and praying and sharing faith in you and love for the rest of the saints together. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us. I pray that you would help us to dig deep into Jesus and that we would have a foundation in you that overflows in fruitfulness so that at the end of this year that we'll see a handful of people around us that have come to know you because we chose to stop trying to please you and to start living through you. I bless this church, these people, in your name. Amen.